and welcome to Get Flushed, the portable sanitation podcast. My name's Pete and I'm your host. Get Flushed is the only weekly podcast dedicated to the portable sanitation industry and we're rapidly gaining a global audience. We now have listeners in six continents, 16 countries and 26 US states and that goes to show just how well connected this industry is. Thank you to everyone who's subscribed and thank you to everyone who's reached out, either through comments on our Facebook page or by email or through the website. I'm really keen to get as many people involved in the show as possible so that we can share ideas and experiences and find out what really happens from an insider's point of view. So far in the series, we've focused on the equipment used by operators. We've looked at the toilets, we've looked at how you clean them, we've looked at the pump and the vacuum tank, and we've thought about how you transport the waste. This week, we're going to go in deep and look at the raw product at the heart of the industry, human septic waste. Now, I did think about reeling off a list of all of the names that I've heard being used to refer to poo. Try it for yourselves and let me know how many you get. However you describe it, human waste can really stink. I'm sure we've all been into a bathroom after somebody else and we've had to open the window or reach for the can of air freshener. Human stools contain digested and undigested food, bacteria, mucus and dead cells. And they smell because a number of chemicals are produced by bacterial action in the gut. These include idole, scatole, hydrogen sulfate and mercaptan. And I have to tell you, poo men become real experts in recognising the seven types of stool listed in the Bristol stool chart. Talking with crews, we all agree that waste from people who eat meat smells way more than waste from vegetarians, and waste containing high-carb gels taken by athletes on race day is absolutely the worst. I'm sure that either the smell or the perception of smell is the part of the job that puts people off. Sure, the visuals can be a real challenge, but you know, you don't have to look. You can close the lid, you can close your eyes, you can turn your head, but you can't stop smelling unless you hold your breath. And honestly, I've known some people dry retch or gag at the smell of a portable toilet. But it's not all bad news. You become immune to the smell. It's like if you own dogs or you're a smoker, your brain freezes out the smell of the dogs or the cigarette and it becomes normal. And that response is called olfactory fatigue or nose blindness. It's a temporary inability to distinguish particular odours after a prolonged period of exposure. But there are also ways that operators control the smell and the visuals to make the portable toilet experience more pleasant. Back in the first episode of this series, I mentioned that formaldehyde was commonly used in LSAN chemical toilets during and after World War II. In fact, formaldehyde is still fairly common and in use today, but it's recognised as being harmful to the environment and it's toxic to human health. In 2011, it was recognised as a known human carcinogen by the United States Department of Health. Contrary to popular belief, it's not being banned, although its use is restricted and prohibited in some applications. More recently, the portable sanitation industry has seen a move away from formaldehyde to other less toxic alternatives. Chemical company Serco from Pittsburgh was an early pioneer of non-formaldehyde products. I asked account manager Tonya Ray to tell me more about Serco's history. 
We innovate, and odor control has been our business since 1946. And then Serco, they've been first with the syrup-type concentrate, first to replace formaldehyde, because formaldehyde has a lot of health Yeah, really toxic to marine life especially. First to use non-staining blue dye, first to add a true odor neutralizer that works in the air, First, with the press and pour measurement bottle, this is something that no one else had. This is before the portion control package. Yeah. First, with paper deodorizer discs, which everyone has now. First, with these wafer square air freshener blocks. And first, with the fresh strap. So, yeah, it's quite a long story. Toilet chemicals usually contain three or four elements. The first is the dye. Now this is usually blue, but I've seen other colours, and its sole purpose is to hide the waste. It's purely cosmetic. I asked odour control expert Tonya Ray why it was blue. This was back in the 50s. It was a long time ago. Many trials for the chosen colour blue were undertaken. Red or orange resembled blood. Brown and yellow were (laughs) no-no's. Green was weak and possibly could resemble too much yellow. Blue had a clean, sanitary appearance, so that was obviously chosen. Since then, blue seems to be ubiquitous. For example, if you look at your toilet bowl cleaner for your home, it's it's probably blue. The second chemical used in portable toilets is a fragrance. This is a really concentrated chemical aroma and it's there to mask the smell of the human waste. Now it comes in lots of different flavours and operators will have their own brand. I asked Tonya which was the most effective. Cherry fragrance. Cherry counteracts septic odours the best. Sometimes you have to take what's available from stock at the time you place your order. But I do know some providers who always insist on using the same fragrance. And that's because they like their customers to associate a particular smell with their particular brand of portable toilet. The third chemical used in portable toilets is a detergent or surfactant. And this compound is designed to reduce surface tensions in liquids. It has two jobs. Firstly, it allows the fragrance to mix with water. And secondly, it stops the waste sticking together. And that's really helpful. If the toilet has been properly primed with enough water and enough chemical and the toilet tissue is a light paper that dissolves more readily, then by the time the operator arrives, most of the waste will have broken down into a fine gruel or sludge. The fourth element in toilet chemicals is a biocide and I've left this one until last because not all products contain it. Essentially, a biocide is a microorganism or a chemical that inhibits or prevents the digestive bacterial action that leads to the release of the gassy odours and smells. Obviously, if the waste is submerged and there's a biocide, there'll be an action going on which prevents the waste from maturing and therefore you won't release any smells. So how are these chemicals administered? Well, they come in both a liquid and a powder form, I asked Tonya whether there was any benefit of using liquid or powder. Well, I can tell you from a manufacturer's point of view, the liquid is stronger yeah. because we start with liquid and then we have to 
add powders that absorb that liquid and put it into a sachet. Yeah. And then it is released when it's reintroduced to water. So it can never be as strong as the original So product. the concentration of liquid to powders, you're diluting it with powder for want of a better description. Pretty much, yeah. yes. That's, yeah. that's a good description of it. And so you want something really strong and you want flexibility to use more when it's hot and humid, less when it's cool and maybe a lower use. The liquid allows you to adapt. The liquid needs to be diluted either by pouring a glug into the toilet when you replenish the water or by adding a measured dose to the freshwater tank on the truck. For me, there are drawbacks to both those methods. Pouring it on site is likely to be a messy affair and it takes skill to make sure you add a properly measured dose. And if you spill blue liquid, it spreads like you wouldn't believe. And I know that modern liquids are eco-friendly and they're approved for disposal through the sewer, but they can't go into the rainwater system. And I've known site managers get really upset at the sight of blue products on the ground because they automatically assume you've spilt septic waste. Despite my fears, Tonya told me that modern blue chemicals don't always stain. The owner of our company, he was at a trade show and it was in a hotel ballroom. During the setup, he had a demo liquid smell sample set up on the table, which could be diluted on the spot to show customers, hey, this can be diluted. When the setup crew was adjusting the carpet, well, Without warning, it caused two containers to tip over, ran across the table, over the edge of the table, onto his light beige pants, staining them. (laughs) He said, happily, the men's room was right next to the display. He rushed into the men's room, removed his pants, rinsed off in the sink, and the blue came out. He said, but I couldn't go out there with pants with a big wet stain in front. (laughs) So his quick thought was, wet the entire pants. (laughs) And then the wet pants turned the light beige to a darker color, and no one ever noticed. (laughs) Interestingly, at that show, we introduced the first non-staining blue dye. Uh, Did he know it was non-staining before then? Well, we did, but this was proof. (laughs) Last week, I talked about the vacuum pump and holding tank. Well, there's one more piece of equipment connected to the pump that can help control foul smells, and that's an odour eliminator or smelly box. Essentially, this is a metal box lined with scented oils and a series of baffles, and as the exhaust gases pass over the baffles, the oil vaporises. Some models claim to neutralise odours, others disguise it with a different scent. Now, not everybody uses a smelly box. It adds cost. You have to buy the box and the oil, have it fitted. But they really do work. And I know that because you can smell the difference if the oil runs dry. Now, there's a common theme running through all of the options we've heard so far today. That's covering the smell. But what if there's an alternative that prevents odours at source? Something that removes the smell without using formaldehyde or other chemicals? Well... It seems there is. There's a product called PortaClear that was developed to treat sewers and has been adapted for use in portable toilets. And PortaClear has been described as the most significant development in environmental quality control since the 1950s. 
We'll find out more about Portaclear next week when we'll be joined with David Pipkin, the director of Portaclear, who's going to tell us more about how his product works. As I finish my chat with Tonya, I asked how people could find out about Serco or buy their products. The first place to start is serco.com, which is S-U-R-C-O.com. Email us, respond on our website, and I get every single one of those. And as I said goodbye, Tonya made a really great offer for anybody wanting to try Serco products. Yes, I talked to our folks in production, and they are super excited about your podcast. They want to offer companies who have never tried our products before free samples and 10% off our regular price on your first order. Just use the code GETFLUSHED. So, what's your favorite fragrance of blue? And are there any smells that you really can't stand? And which do you prefer, liquid or water-soluble powder? Drop us a line, either through Facebook or by email, to let us know what you think. I'd like to end with a shout-out to paramedic Michael Chestnut, who listened to us while he was driving his ambulance on nights, and to Chance, a sanitation driver who cut his leg quite badly in an accident at work. And also, kia to the TT Foundation crew, who I met out on site earlier this week. Thanks for listening, guys. I hope you've enjoyed the show. And of course, this week's show would not have been possible without the support of Tonya Ray from Serco. Tonya, I really enjoyed talking to you on the phone. Thank you for spending time with me. And I'm sure the listeners will have appreciated your input too. Okay, that brings us to the end. Thank you for listening. Please remember to subscribe. I've been Pete and you've been listening to Get Flushed, the portable sanitation podcast.